Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You could uh, wonder what we might get from this. But what we all come to Scripture wanting is some strength uh, and some somehow some sort of steel inside ourselves that we hope that God would, would give us so that we might be the people that we would wish to be. And sometimes it just seems that there's a guy sitting there with the Bible in front of him and that's it. But it's not like that. God is prepared to work, and the Lord Jesus is prepared to work deep within our psychology, within our mind, to direct us into being the kinds of people that he would have us to be. Now, that's what we want. We desperately want that, to, to be like him, and to have that strength somehow within us to, to be, I mean, in terms of our personalities, what we would dearly wish to be. So then, that's, I think, what we get glimpses of in this chapter. But let's start in chapter 2, verse 16, where Paul, uh, Paul prays that uh, now our Lord Jesus Christ and God, even our Father, who has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation or comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So he prays that these Thessalonian converts would be comforted in their hearts by the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even God our Father, and that he would establish them in their words and works. Now, that's what we want. And yet if you notice, he says in verse 16 that he prays, uh, well, he says in verse 16 that our Lord Jesus Christ has given us everlasting comfort, or consolation, the AV says, and therefore he prays, verse 17, that he may comfort your hearts. So it's as if he senses that there's a great amount of potential spiritual help. For example, in this case, comfort. But it doesn't come automatically into our lives. It's got to be perceived. It's got to be desired and prayed for. And you can actually pray for other people therefore, following Paul's example, that God will do something in their minds, in their hearts. And then he, he prays, verse 17, that the Lord Jesus himself and God our Father will establish you in your good words and, and work. And then that sort of continued in our chapter here, in chapter 3, verse 3, the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and keep you from evil. So then, this idea of being established, now the Greek uh, word means to turn in a direction, to confirm. The Lord Jesus himself and our Father, God Almighty, are able and eager to turn us, to confirm us in the way that we want to go, to go if we want to come to him, and to confirm us in that way. To turn, to confirm. Translated here in the... Uh, in the older versions as establish. Now, this is an amazing thing, that we are confirmed in the path that we wish to go. And he has the ability to turn human hearts in that way that we wish to go. Now, we wish to be spiritual people, do we not? That's why we're here. That's what it's all about. That's why we haven't thrown the, thrown the towel in and, and turned away from everything to do with spirituality. We want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, really I think our answer to the question what would you like more than anything else should be 
that I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Not so much, oh yeah, I want to live forever, because it depends how you live forever. To live forever, uh, maybe just in the flesh, would in fact be be awful. Um, you know, just imagine living a thousand years, a million years, just as we are. This would be awful. We want to be like him. And if that is our desire, and I believe for all of us here that is our desire, then the Lord Jesus himself will confirm us and turn us in that direction and confirm us in that way, establish you. Now, this theme continues in verse 5. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting of Christ. That's what it should be, not patient waiting for Christ to come at his second coming, but into the kind of patient waiting, patient endurance that is and was in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then he is able to direct our hearts. So it's not just a guy sitting there with his Bible trying to will and steal himself to, uh, to be spiritually minded. The Lord, the Lord Jesus, I think he, he means there, will direct your hearts into the love of God. Now, this turning or establishing, confirming of the human heart is done by the Lord, that is true. But to put meaning into those words, I think we have to perceive that he does this through what I call a, a mechanism. There is something, if you like, more human that he uses to achieve this. Now, for example, this same word for establish, same Greek word translated establish, and I've said it means to turn in a direction, to confirm. Same word is found in a number of places where we read about God's servants uh, establishing, or as it's translated sometimes, strengthening their brethren. Luke 22, verse 32. Peter is told that when he's converted, strengthen or establish, turn in a direction, confirm your brethren. Romans 1.11, where Paul speaks of how he, his intention is to strengthen or establish the believers in Rome through his personal presence with them and his teaching of the gospel to them. You've got it again in Romans 16, verse 25. And in the first of Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 2, we're told that Timothy's visiting of the brethren would strengthen them. You may like to just look back there. It's just a couple of pages back. First uh, of Thessalonians, chapter 3, uh, verse 2, he says that we sent Timotheus, Timothy, our brother, uh, to establish you and to comfort you. Interesting the two ideas there of establishing and comforting, because you've got that here in Second Thessalonians 2.17, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Um, and again here in chapter 3, verse 3, the Lord is faithful who will establish you. But how does he do that, and how did he do that in the context of the Thessalonians? In one sense, by Timothy visiting them. And uh, sorry, just to flick back there to First Thessalonians 3, okay, in verse 2, we sent Timothy, our brother, to establish, to uh, you know, turn you in the direction, to confirm you, uh, and to comfort you. And then in verse 13 of First Thessalonians 3, he says that um, the Lord Jesus will establish your hearts. He will establish your hearts. But in verse 2 he says that Timothy is going to do this. So you see what I mean 
by the uh, the idea of okay the Lord is going to strengthen to uh, to establish to confirm to turn our hearts but how does he do this he does this through the mechanism of each other of us believers Paul uh, Peter Timothy we've just seen all these examples and oddly enough we're back in our second of Thessalonians now chapter 3 Second uh, Thessalonians 3 verse 5 where we read there and may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God the only other time Paul uses that word direct is there in First Thessalonians 3 verse 11 where he, he prays may God himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you may God and Jesus direct us unto you and there here he says to the Thessalonians may God and Jesus uh, direct your hearts into the love of God how was this to happen well partially uh, through the mechanism of Paul visiting them teaching them uh, God's word and and, uh, the things of the Lord Jesus so in one sense yes God and the Lord Jesus do just strengthen our hearts uh, if that's the way that we uh, we want to go but they prefer to work I submit through a mechanism and as I say we've seen the other times when this word translated establish uh, is used about uh, Paul, Peter and Timothy uh, strengthening their brethren or establishing them now you and I can be part of that as well it's not that we we leave all pastoral work to just a few we are all in that sense priests we are a priesthood and what that means is that the responsibility for pastoral and spiritual care is not just with a group of specialists call them a pastoral team arranging brethren whatever you want to call them it's actually for all of us and so when you wonder well, what is my talent what is my calling what has God given me to do what has he given you to do to strengthen your brethren and it, this involves physically being with them in all these cases uh, that we've looked at of Paul and Timothy it involved them physically coming to the Thessalonians to do this work of strengthening and we might remember that in this sort of online generation where we, we tend to shy away these days from physical contact it's all about dashing off an email or whatever it might be anyway he, he says that uh, chapter 3 verse 5 2 Thessalonians uh, the Lord Jesus direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting of Christ into the patient endurance of Jesus now we might think that patience was just something that Jesus had to show during his life but in Revelation 1 verse 9 John speaks about how he was sharing in the patience in the endurance of Christ during his persecution there and uh, his suffering there and his exile in, in Patmos so then there is an element to which the Lord Jesus is to this moment in one sense uh, suffering in one sense we are living out his ongoing crucifixion sufferings because the risen Lord is in a sense suffering he's still having to patiently endure you know, us lot um, so it shouldn't be a, a surprise really to, to see that patient and patience and patient endurance is in fact something which the Lord Jesus is showing right now 
And that's why when John is having to endure, <clears throat> to keep on keeping on during his exile in Patmos, he says he was in the patient endurance of Christ. He, he was, his soul as it were, his, his spirit, his, his feelings had touched those of, of the Lord Jesus. And so we want to be like him. We shall be like him. Oh, how rich the promise. But right now, the Lord Jesus is directing our hearts to be like him. Now, I've said in previous talks, talking about Colossians 1 and and Romans 8, that we are counted righteous by reason of our status in Christ. But that doesn't just mean that God or Jesus look at us and say right okay I've declared you righteous although you're a sinner that's it particularly in Romans 8 the idea is that yes that is how we are counted in a legal sort of sense before the court of divine justice we are counted righteous and there is no accusation against us but what Romans 8 seems to say is that it doesn't stop there because actually God through his spirit working in our hearts is seeking to actually make us what we are by status by status we are as Christ and yet he's working in our hearts and minds to actually make us like that to help us to have the mind of Christ and so I think you see that here as I say in verse 5 the Lord Jesus directs our hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ the Lord Jesus directs our hearts to have his kind of patience that he had and has right now he's trying to make us like him and we've seen how Paul is praying here starting in chapter 2 verse 16 that this will happen so then as I keep saying it is not just a weak human being sitting there looking at his bible I mean it is that in one sense but over and above that if we are open to it and if we pray for each other that this may happen God and the Lord Jesus are directing human hearts there is an element over and above our own spiritual efforts because he is willing to establish us to confirm us to direct our hearts in the way that we wish to go uh, and to confirm us in that way now he then goes on in verse 6 really to the end of the chapter to talk about these traditions he says we command you brethren to withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us now the Greek word translated tradition just literally means something passed on something handed on uh, obviously from, from Jesus himself just look back at chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 he talks about how he had preached the gospel to the Thessalonians and he goes on and says verse 15 therefore brethren because we preach the gospel to you therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught either by our word or by our writings so it seems that he preached the gospel and then he handed them these traditions this uh, is a bad translation really but the idea is really uh, that which is passed on uh, and the context seems to be about practical Christian living and 
in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, this is exactly what Jesus is really saying. I've risen from the dead. Now go and tell everybody, and the women are told to go and people are, going, are told to go and tell people. Um, the uh, the men are told to go and tell others, and then eventually Jesus says, "Look, go and tell the whole world that He has risen from the dead, and baptize people." This is the logical connection between the message being about the risen Christ and baptizing people, because baptism is into the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then he says, teach them all things that I have commanded you. So then Paul is doing this. He teaches the basic gospel to the Thessalonians, baptizes them, and then he hands on to them the traditions, the handed on things. From whom? From Jesus. About practical Christian living. And that, I think, should be our pattern, and that's what he's, uh, he's doing here. And, uh, of course, he's, he says that in verse 7, You know how you ought to follow us, for we didn't behave ourselves disorderly among you. So, this is a great theme in all his writings. Follow me. Uh, it's the Greek word mimikos, mimic, mimic me. Um, in First Thessalonians 1 verse 6, you became followers of us and of the Lord and he says here in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 7 you know how you ought to follow us verse 9 he says we set you an example so that you should follow us now of course Paul was not trying to build up his own uh, personality cult, his own following and yet he also understood that converting people to the Lord Jesus is in a sense having spiritual children and they are going to mimic you now that's a a sober thing that we have far more influence upon others than we could possibly recognize all our actions and our attitudes and our behaviors these become patterns for those who have just been converted to the Lord who see us and really we have to watch our behaviour and so he says here verse 9 well we didn't take any material support from you not because we have not authority or power but so as to make ourselves an example unto you now I think here we have an example of choosing to live on a higher level than the minimum I mean Paul could have asked for material support from the Thessalonians he wasn't actually with them for very long uh, following uh, according to the uh, the Acts record he really wasn't there that long at all and yet he could have quite easily have, have thought ah oh, yeah I'm only here for a short time you, I have no, pro- no problem about uh, you guys feeding me or putting me up for, for a couple of weeks but he says no we didn't we didn't eat anyone's bread for nothing not because we don't have authority he had authority to say look here yep he who preaches the gospel should live out the gospel but he chose a higher level and I think we have those choices very often in our lives and we should never be uh, minimalists what's the minimum that I can get away with but rather we should be seeking if we really love God to live as far as we can on the highest level we can bearing in mind that our examples have more power and influence over others than we, than we think 
Now, verse 11, getting to the specific issue, what he's saying here is uh, if someone is just sponging off the, uh, off the other believers, then don't have anything to do with them, so that they might be ashamed. And he says, verse 11, because we hear that there are some who walk amongst you disorderly, not working, but are busybodies. Working not, but are busybodies. Now there's a word play here in the Greek, because the Greek words for work and busy are the same. So you could translate it, they are not busy at all, but they are busybodies. Or they're not working at, at all, they're just working, doing, you know, other things they shouldn't be doing. So they're not busy, but they're busy. They don't work, they're not busy, and so therefore they are busy bodies. And I think reflecting on that, I think you see that, I think he realizes that human beings have to be doing something with themselves all day. And he says if they don't work, then they're going to work at other things such as interfering in other people's lives, being what we call busybodies, uh, interfering, uh, getting just full up with other people's social lives and criticism and gossip and the rest of it. And again, taking this a bit deeper, I see there a blessing that came out of the curse in the Garden of Eden that we have to work in order to procreate and to survive. And that keeps most people busy. And in a funny way, that stops them falling into major sin. You see what I'm saying? They're not busy at all, but they're busy bodies. But they should be busy working in their daily lives so that they are not busy bodies. There's something that we have to do with ourselves. And he's saying that if you're not busy working to support yourself, which is all what the curse in Eden was all about, actually you're going to become busy bodies. So that's why he's saying, back to work. And yet, again, another thought arises out of this. We live in a society, wherever you are in the world, where there is a very unequal distribution of wealth. And yet, in many, certainly Western countries, social welfare systems have, in fairness, tried to redistribute wealth. And there's arisen, because of those two things, a subclass of the very rich, who don't have to work, and also of the very poor, relatively speaking, who don't have to work either, because they're supported by the social. And those people oddly enough, tend to be those who are attracted to the gospel. And yet, there's a a huge danger for those classes of people, because they can become busy bodies. we all got to be busy doing something. This is the point of that wordplay. And if you're not busy working to support yourself and, and and your children, basically, you can become busy bodies in another way. Now, if you are in those situations where you are not working, you are not busy procreating or, or, or more to the point, uh, providing for yourself and and your children, just realize that you have got uh, a tendency to waste that ability to become a busy body. That is what I take this wordplay to be warning us about. And also... 
I think with all the technological advances which there are and the whole concept of retirement which is uh, you know, it's really only the last couple of centuries that's been around really um, it has actually freed up a lot of time for a lot of people of course there are people who work terribly long hours I realise that but there are also people who don't have to work that hard in order to survive and so that desire to be busy about something or other has this tendency to lead us to be busy bodies that the busyness becomes focused on destructive meddling in other people's lives it's very often these days uh, done through social networking on the internet and things like that and so he, he says verse 12 that we should live quietly and in 13 not be weary in, uh, in well doing and I, I don't think he's particularly talking about doing outstanding good deeds but he means just keeping on keeping on in the workaday life and living that life in Christ and he says we should live quietly and he's in verse 12 and he says he exhorts us by our Lord Jesus all the time who Jesus was and is um, is to be our pattern and I wonder if when he says you should live quietly and I exhort you by Jesus I wonder if he's talking about the life of Jesus before age 30 where he was very quiet just getting on with his life uh, probably caring for, for a large family as the, uh, the eldest child etc and we've said in verse 5 that uh, for example we are to have the patient endurance of Christ that this is to be an aim for us so all the time the Lord Jesus is being set up there as our example and that is why in Breaking Bread week by week we should be refocusing ourselves upon him just reminding ourselves of this thing that he is our pattern and that he is the exhortation I exhort you he says verse 12 by our Lord Jesus Christ and what he means because he lived quietly therefore you should all that is true of him is true of us because he is counted to us his righteousness is counted to us we are counted as him but in practice we also should try to live out who we are by status and we are by status in Christ we are Christ to this world and we are counted as Christ by the Father by grace, by imputed righteousness whichever way you want to look at it and therefore and thereby we should have as our aim to be like him